Today marks the end of an era. We've been in the Gospel of John for a long time. Somebody say, a long time. We have gone this series from the beginning. We've gone verse by verse through to pretty much the end. And I'm here to tell you that today we are at the end. Today is the 45th and final week in our series in the Gospel of John. Some thought we'd never make it, but we've made it. Congratulations. And it's been really awesome to walk through this with you guys because I have seen, we have seen the Lord build us up as a church through his word. Through his word just being open and proclaimed, the Holy Spirit has done a work in us. For that, I'm very thankful, and I hope that you are as well. Now, you might think, Braden, I feel like last week would have been a great week to end this series on. Because after all, it was Easter we were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. The whole gospel of John has been about Jesus. And here it culminated with his death on the cross to pay for our sin and his victory over the grave. That would have been a great place to end. And you know what I say to you? Maybe, but psych, we've got one more chapter left. We're in John chapter 21 this morning. You can go ahead and turn there now. We're going to cover that whole chapter today as we finish up this wonderful book. And John 21 actually is a perfect way to end this series as well. God has a really important word for us, his church, in this text that we're going to read today. And I'm excited to be covering it with you guys. The word that God has for us from his word this morning is all about continuing well. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about continuing well. Okay, now do it again like you mean it. It's all about continuing well. In other words, we've started out on this journey with Jesus. Some of you guys have been Christians and on this journey with Jesus for years and years. Some of you, it's been about a week. Awesome. In any case, God does not want us to start in that journey, in that walk with Jesus, and then quit partway through. He doesn't want us to, to start and then stop, but to stay with him for the long haul, actually for the rest of of your life. And this word that we're going to see today pertains to that. But how many of you know it's kind of easy in our lives? Sometimes we begin things and we quit them after a while. You ever done that with something? You started maybe with great intentions, uh, you had great enthusiasm, it was a project or a new hobby, and you did it for a few weeks and then, wow. You ever have that? I had one of those when I was a kid at our old church building. Some of you will remember, before we were in this building, we had another building for many, many, many years. And when I was a kid, they invited us to paint one of the walls in the third floor gymnasium at our building. It was just this blank wall, and somebody had the bright idea of let's let the kids draw on it. Not like draw pictures and stick them on it, but like paint onto the wall. So no going back, right? You could paint over it, I guess. And so we did. Bunch of the kids drew some very nice pictures. Someone drew a picture of the building that looked really nice. Someone drew a nice cross up there, which was really cool. A couple other drawings. And then it was my turn to draw. Here's the problem. And I'm not saying this to be self-deprecating. I am terrible at drawing. Terrible. I'm fine with being terrible, but I'm real bad. And I had this idea in my mind that I was going to draw like a carnival 
fair, like a Sunday school themed fair, because in my mind, I had loved going to Sunday school as a kid, and I wanted everyone else who was up there to see, oh, Sunday school, it's fun, I should go there if I'm a kid, right? So I started drawing on the wall, painting on the wall. Some adult was there that was very irresponsible, obviously, because I didn't even do a rough copy, then the good copy, we just went right to the good copy. I'm painting on the wall, and here's all that I got done. I did a fence, this is like the fence around the theme park, and then a gate with the word Sunday school in it, and then another fence. The fences were two different colors, that's how bad I was. One was black and one was brown, bad. And then I started to draw a Ferris wheel, because every carnival needs a Ferris wheel, and then I stopped. I don't know if I ran out of time or I just thought this thing looks stupid, I quit. The problem is, that was on the wall for years afterward. It might still be there. I hope someone's painted over it. Delete it right away. Get rid of it. And I literally, there would be people, we'd be up on that third floor, and people would come up and say, oh, this wall is cool. And I, I pictures here. And they'd go, oh, but what's that? And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Some idiot drew that. I don't know what's going on there. It was bad, Okay. Starting and stopping is what it's about. God does not want us to do that in our faith. And as it pertains to continuing well, we're going to see two aspects of continuing well in our text in John 21. The first one is this. It's continue to abide. Somebody say abide now. We'll get to that one in a few minutes. But let's read the first few verses here. It says this. After this... Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee, if that distinction matters to you. And he revealed himself in this way. Here it is. Simon Peter, Tom, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of Jesus' disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught how much? They caught nothing. So just for context here, here's what's happening in and around this. Like we read last week, Jesus has risen from the grave. He's alive. He appeared to his disciples. They were super encouraged, fired up. It said last week in John chapter 20, they were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus actually sent them. Remember, he said, I'm sending you out. They were on this mountaintop experience. Oh, Jesus is alive. This is wonderful. But yet in this text, other than that first verse, Jesus isn't even mentioned at all. Did you notice that? They're just together, and now, I don't know, let's go fishing. I think it's intentional that Jesus isn't mentioned there, by the way, because it's trying to paint a picture for us. Like It's almost like they've forgotten about him, in a sense. All right, we saw Jesus, and cool, he's here somewhere. Now what do we do? I don't know, let's go fishing. Some of these guys were fishermen by trade before Jesus called them to be his disciples, and they said, I don't know, let's go back to that. So they fish, almost like Jesus had never happened. And I wonder, you don't have to answer this out loud, but maybe you've seen that as well in your life. You see someone come to faith in Christ maybe, and they're super excited, wind is in their sails, fired up, I'm gonna win the world for Jesus. And then after a time, you see them again, and it seems like they've just totally dropped off and forgotten about it. I'll tell you why, or I'll tell you something that's important about that. It's discipleship is important. It's, it's part of the reason why we've got to come alongside each other. 
especially new believers, but not just new believers. We've got to come alongside one another so we can support each other and build each other up and, and nurture and nourish each other. Because otherwise that can happen super easily. You remember the parable Jesus said about the seed that goes out? It goes on the rocky path and the enemy just snatches it up right away. Or some of it wilts and it goes away quickly. So we've got to be watching out for each other. Make sense? Okay, that was a sidebar. These guys are fishing, okay? And it's not obviously automatically wrong that they were fishing. What this isn't saying is when you come to Jesus, you've got to give up every single thing that you used to do, any hobby you used to have, any interest, your job, forget about your job, don't go back to work, your family, just leave that. No, that's obviously not what it's saying. It's not wrong that they were fishing, but something about this text, again, doesn't sit right. Jesus had had this powerful moment with them. They had seen him resurrected. They saw his wounds in his hands and his side. And again, like I said, he sent them out. He gave them this mission, this sending. Life is supposed to be different for these disciples. And now they're right back to what they used to do. And I'll point out, it's very important that verse 3 is in there. It says, they fished all night and they caught nothing. In other words, if you begin this journey, this life with Jesus, but you kind of forget about him along the way, your life is going to be equally fruitless. Just saying. Yeah, maybe you'll go out and apart from Jesus, you'll make lots of money. Who cares? Maybe you'll go out and you'll have lots of good experiences and make lots of friends. Yeah, that's great, but you've missed the point entirely. You are not going to be able to have any sort of real eternal impact and significance in this life if you start with Jesus, but then you neglect him or you fall away from him or you don't keep him close to you. You're going to fish and toil and work all night and not catch anything like these disciples did. Make sense? Yes? Okay. And then here's what happens. It says in verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was him. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and then you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. I love that. Jesus reveals himself to them, even though by all accounts, by what we read, it seems like they're not the least bit concerned about him. He shows up to them anyway. You know what that means? He's faithful even when we're not super faithful. That's good news today. It says in verse four that he stood on the shore. Jesus was close by. And I love that. Even if you in your life kind of drift away from Jesus and aren't paying much attention to him, here's the good news. He's not far from you even still. Even if you try to run as far as the east is from the west, you can't outrun God. So Jesus is close by and he addresses the disciples. And I love what he says to them in verse 5. He doesn't say, you blockheads, why are you fishing tonight? This isn't what I told you to do. Ah, No, he says, children. In other words, he starts by reminding them and speaking to them in relation to what their status is in him. If you're a Christian... You are a child of God. That's what the word says. You've been born again and brought into the family of God as a child of God. And that's how Jesus addresses them, even in their sort of distance from him here. And Jesus in verse 6 then does this miracle, all these fish. You know what? It's not really about the fish. But Jesus, in doing this miracle, reminds them in this moment of his power. 
He reminds them, hey, remember who I am. Remember what I can do. And he reminds them of his power and his relevance in their day-to-day life. In other words, hey, don't forget, I want to be involved in your life, in every aspect of your life. And I love that Jesus comes to them in their world as well. What Jesus doesn't say is, hey guys, I'll do a miracle for you, but it can only be in a nice glassed-in cathedral on a Sunday morning, and you have to come to me and to my house and whatever. I mean, that's great, but Jesus goes to them in their world of fishing. That's what they knew, and that's where the miracle happened. That speaks to the heart of our God. He wants to meet you in your life. He wants to reveal himself to you where you are right now, even if you've been distant from him. Verse 7, it continues, the disciples begin to get it right. It says, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John who wrote this book, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. I'm glad we don't work that way these days, just saying. He was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about 100 yards off. That is the proper response right there. They see Jesus revealed in their lives, and they throw themselves toward him. They go for him. They don't just say, oh, yeah, right, oh, that's cool, Jesus. Yeah, I'll deal with you later. I'll get... No, they drop everything, and they go to him. I wonder, is that our attitude in our walk, in our day-to-day? I wonder if that's, is that what we do when Jesus is trying to get our attention in our lives? Well, that's the pattern we see here. That's what we ought to be doing. And I love how this continues. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. By the way, I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked this week. I did not find any particular significance to that number 153. But if you find some, you can go ahead and tell me. It's at the very least an indicator of this is a lot of fish. This was a big miracle that he did. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, again, now they're out of the boat, they're on shore, and I love what Jesus does not do. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, you guys, come on, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you paying attention to me? What's going on? Why are you in the boat? What are you doing, people? No, you know what he says? He says, come and have breakfast. Come and hang out with me. Come and sit with me. Come and spend time with me. And this is where we start cooking onto this right now. That was a breakfast pun that I did not mean to make. We get on to this right here. Jesus, yes, he has done the miracle. These guys are probably now on the mountain again. Oh, Jesus, you did this thing with the fish. It's so cool. But in this moment, Jesus is reminding them what it's truly all about. It's not really even about the miracle primarily. It's about him. He's saying to them, hey, your life as a believer is not just about going from feeling the high over here about something God has done and then just waiting till you feel the high again about something God has done. No, it's about abiding with him, about spending time with him all throughout. This is where it comes right down to us, friends. Let's bring this right up into our kitchens this morning. 
because that's never uncomfortable for us, is it? The Lord never has anything to say to us in this, does he? So for us, we have these things called mountaintop experiences with God, don't we? If you've been a Christian long enough, you've had a mountaintop experience with God. So it's, it's those moments where God does something so wonderful, so powerful. Maybe he does a miracle or a healing or he provides for a huge need that you have that you couldn't see how you were gonna get paid for. Or, or maybe he answers a particular prayer or maybe, maybe you just feel his presence really close to you. Those are mountaintop moments. In those moments, you have the wind in your sails. You're feeling great. <clears throat> Nothing can bring you down. Nothing is wrong with those at all. Those are gifts from God. We should be thankful. Like when someone gets saved, when someone experiences grace, whatever it is, we should give thanks for the mountaintop experiences with God. And my hope and my prayer is that we'd have a lot more of those ahead in our lives. But here's the thing about mountaintops. Those experiences, those moments, they fade away. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the mountaintop. Doesn't mean, well, Lord, you did this thing and I felt really good about it and then it wore off. I don't feel it anymore. Must have been something that you forgot to do, Lord. No, it's not like that at all. That's just the way these work. For instance, when I was a teenager, <coughs> excuse me, we used to go to a, a lot of youth conferences. Anybody gone to a youth conference before? Yeah. A lot of times you'd go to like PEI or something. It was super fun. You'd get picked up from school early. You'd go for the whole weekend, take a road trip. You'd be hanging out with other teenagers. There'd be a worship band that was really going for it. There'd be a speaker that was getting into the word. And when you immersed yourself in that for a couple of days, now it's Saturday night, now it's Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit's really starting to move. He's really starting to do something in the people who were there. And when you're driving home Sunday morning, you're just full. You're just saturated because you've met with God that weekend and you're just trying to process through, wow, what did God reveal to me? What did God tell me? What did God show me? I just, I just feel so close to God and so full and that's great. But then you get home Sunday night, you go to school Monday morning, you get right back into your routine and you just get back into that rut and keep on doing what you did before the weekend. Was there anything wrong with the weekend? No, but that's the way that mountaintop experiences work. And the question is, when that high kind of wears off, then what? Then where do we go? Here's what you need to know. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not primarily about just seeking mountaintop to mountaintop. And I'll just put all my hope in. I'll feel good because of something God did over here. And I'll, I'll hope that high lasts until the next time he does something good. It's not about the experience. It's not about the feelings. Your walk with Jesus is first and foremost a relationship with him. A relationship where you're walking with him. And yes, in the context of that relationship, there are a lot of mountaintops. Hopefully more and more all the time. But it's also about walking with Jesus, not when we're just on the mountain, but when we're in the valley, when we're down low. And when we're on the plain, when we're neutral, just in the middle. It's not really good or bad in my life right now. Because he's not just the God on the mountain, he's the God every moment. And we have to remember that. And I would actually submit this to you. Sometimes our treatment of these mountaintop experiences with God, they can kind of be idols in a way. 
Sometimes we can get into a place where all we're doing is we're chasing after Jesus because we want to feel something that he does. I'm hanging around because there's some shine onto this right now, Jesus, and I feel really good when I seek after you. And, and remember that happened in John chapter 6. Jesus had done this big miracle with the bread. He fed a whole bunch of people. And, and later on, the people came back and said, how about some more bread, Jesus? And he said, you don't care about me. You're just with me because of what I can do for you. Ouch. Sometimes we can do that when we view our mountaintops, experience like that. And then when that feeling or that high wears off, boom, we're gone. That's not the life he calls us to. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you in your life, where you are right now, like he did with his disciples, and he wants us to come to him and us, for us to start spending more time with him and walking with him. He wants us to abide. That's what that word means. Abide is a highly relational word. It means you get with someone, you stay with them, you look to them, you walk with them, you trust in them, you stay close to them all the way along. That is what Jesus is inviting us to in him. And this, like we've seen in previous parts of the Gospel of John, this is where the substance of the life that Jesus has for us comes in. This is true life. This is eternal life that we know God, that we have a relationship with God, not just on the mountain, but every season, in every circumstance in your life. Don't answer this out loud, but I wonder what place you're in this morning. And I wonder, are you seeking after the Lord? Are you seeking to abide in Jesus no matter where you are this morning? That's the first leg of our journey this morning. You want to continue well in this faith that you're walking in. You want to continue well in this work Jesus is doing in your life. You want to continue to live the life that you were created and born to live. You've got to continue to abide. We're talking, we're talking get into your Bible. We're talking spend time in prayer. We're talking spend time in worship. We're talking involve him every day of your life, even moment by moment. Keep the Lord close. It's not just, yeah, I'll show up on Sunday and I'll sing some songs while I'm looking at a screen and there I did my checklist, I did my duty. You're missing the point if that's where you're camping out. I'm just telling you. It's all about abiding in the relationship with Jesus. That is where the life is. That is how you're gonna continue well. Good on that one? Good. Next one then, second part of continuing well is this. We got to continue dealing with our sin. We're going to talk about our sin this morning. Won't that be fun? Yay, somebody said. Yeah, that's the right answer. Let's read uh, verse 15 to 19. It says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he answered Jesus. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to die to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. 
So what you need to understand what's going on in that text, this is the first recorded one-on-one that Jesus and Peter have had since Peter had dropped the ball in a pretty major way. If you remember, we read back in previous chapters, the night before Jesus died, he had been betrayed, he had been arrested. It's this critical moment in his life. And Peter had flat out denied even knowing Jesus. Not just once, oops, I had a slip of the tongue. He did it blatantly three times publicly. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. Pretty bad, okay? He had fallen pretty hard there. And this here, Jesus had now died and risen. He's now hanging out and now they're having the one-on-one. In other words, like, hey, we got some stuff to talk about. You ever had that? That person you just got to get one-on-one with to talk to them. That's what's happening here. And again, here's how Jesus approaches Peter. He's not, explain yourself, explain your actions. He says, Simon, calls him by name. He says, do you love me more than these? The these that it's talking about, it's the other disciples here. There's another place in a different gospel. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 29. Jesus had said to his disciples, hey, you're all gonna fall away because of me this night, on the night he was betrayed. And Peter said, hey, these bozos, I'm paraphrasing, these bozos might fall away from you, but I will never fall away. In other words, I'm way better than these guys. I love you way more than these guys. And Jesus here goes, do you really? Do you love me more than these disciples? Love of Jesus is the key issue here. Because we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is called to be our first love. What the Holy Spirit does as Christians is that he fills us with God's love and it, it pours it into us and it overflows in us. Love for God is the issue in sight here. And that's what he's directing Peter toward. Do you love me? Right? Let it just be known today. Our heart, that's where we're supposed to be as well. Like, I love that you come to church. I love that, you know, if you read your Bible. I love if you put money in the box. I love if you do good works through the week. I love if you serve in the church. All those things are wonderful. But listen, if love for Jesus is not our primary motivator, we're on slippery ground. We're on a slippery slope. Because anything less, it's just religion, I'm here just checking off boxes because I feel like I should. I have a moral obligation to do it. Well, that's not what Jesus calls you to. It's not the life he has for you. If not that, it's people-pleasing. I gotta do all these things so I'll gain the approval of other people. That's, that's terrible to build upon. Or, or maybe it's I wanna do all these things so people will look at me and, and look how awesome I am. No, no, no. Come on now. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That is, that is the essence. That's where we need to go. That needs to be our heart. <clears throat> he, Jesus here asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Something interesting about the amount of times he asks Jesus, that's the amount of times Jesus had just denied him before. Also something neat, here they are sitting around the campfire having breakfast. Jesus had been denied by Peter while Peter was standing and warming himself by the fire. So Jesus brings this in. This parallel is on purpose. And what he's showing here is that he has grace for Peter. And his grace for Peter directly corresponds to the sin that he had committed. 
But not only that, Jesus has grace that is greater than the sin that Peter had committed. He had committed a sin, you know, this big. And Jesus' grace here is going to cover Peter even bigger. Again, he starts out by saying, Simon calls him by name. Peter had just denied even knowing Jesus. But Jesus is now saying, yeah, but I know you. I love you. I'm for you. Simon, he says. Then he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my flock. What he's doing, he's restoring Peter. Peter is called by Jesus. And if you go on to read like the book of Acts and beyond, Peter becomes a pillar, a major factor, a major piece of the early church that was started after this. And Peter's role was to go and to spread the message of the gospel and to witness and to testify about Jesus and to disciple others and lead churches, teach people, oversee the flock. He had a major role. And Jesus comes along there and he says, feed my sheep. He's reminding him of what he's calling him to do, right? In other words, Peter's sin has not disqualified him. Jesus says, this is what I have for you. Then in verse 18 and 19, this is where Jesus gives that prophecy about Peter's death. Peter died many years after this, but Jesus said, here's what's going to happen to you. And it sounds kind of bleak. Oh, here's how you're going to die. Oh, like, great. Thank you. But it's a reminder. Jesus is God. God is speaking here. He's, he's, he's fully aware of what's happening. He knows what's coming down the line for Peter. God is speaking. We got to listen. If God is speaking grace over you, we got to listen to him and we've got to receive it, friends. So that's where I want to go, bringing this into us. Let's come back to us on this today. True or false? As believers, we still sin. True. Get in line right behind me, Right? We still sin, and although, right, we don't lose our salvation or anything like that when we sin, but we still have to deal with that. We still have to go through something onto that, and Jesus wants to restore us when we sin, even as believers. He wants to restore us and do a renewing work in us, just like he did with Peter. And I will say this to you, whatever sin you are wrestling with or struggling with in your walk this morning, Jesus has grace for that thing. He has grace for you, and his grace will cover over that sin. You do not have to walk in shame over your sin as a Christian. I've seen too many. In fact, I've been this Christian. Oh, I've done this thing. I'm ashamed of it. And maybe it was a very shameful thing that you did or that you were caught up in. But people will wear that around their neck like an anchor and carry that through years and years. Well, I, I really can't be used by God because I have this sin that I did maybe 20 years ago. I, I have this baggage in my life and it holds us down. Well, here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus actually is gonna give us a formula in this text that we can deal with our sin as believers, that we can move on and we can walk in strength and we don't have to be brought down by these things. The first thing is this. I want you to burn this into your brain. I want you to write this down if you've got notes. You can write it in your phone if you want. Because this is relevant. This is something we can do every single day. This three-part formula of how to deal with our sin as Christians, even if it's just this little sin, oh, that might not have been a big deal, it seems, or maybe you're caught up in a huge bit of sin as a believer this morning. Here's what you can do. The first thing is this. You can confess, then you can repent, and then you can stand in confidence. We're going to explore all of these, but I want you to say them with me. Say them with me now. You can confess, 
repent and stand in confidence. One more time, say it with me. Confess, repent, stand in confidence. Let's explore these. The first thing you gotta do with your sin as a believer is you confess it to Jesus. Peter kind of starts to do that in this text. Jesus says, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter finally, remember, Jesus is asking that directly as a result of Peter's denial, this big sin that he had committed. And finally, Peter breaks and he says, Lord, you know everything. That is very key. Because sometimes with our sin, we like to try to pretend that God doesn't know everything. Oh, that sin, he didn't notice that. That wasn't that big a deal. Right, I didn't, I didn't hear a thundercloud when I did that thing. God must not be paying attention. Well, that's not true at all. God knows it all. He knows all of your sin. You go, oh no, like even that sin? Like, yes, he knows it. Okay, can we stop pretending this morning? God knows your whole life, your whole heart, every inkling that goes through your mind, every action that comes from your hands, every word that comes from your mouth. He knows it. So if we would just be real with him and confess it to him, that would set us on the path to some real freedom. Because it says in the book of 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, say, God, you know everything. Here it is. Here's my life, warts and all. Maybe it's real bad, but here I am. When you confess your sins, it says that God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That sounds like something good to me, doesn't it to you? So you gotta start by confessing. Just be real with the Lord. He already knows it anyway. And if you need to, if it would be helpful for you, confess it to another brother or sister in the faith. That's part of why we're here together. It's to support each other. If you need to bring someone in with you, in on the fight, tell them. Talk to one of the elders of the church. Talk to someone that you trust here. It's okay. It's okay for you to be not okay. I kind of said that already. Like, none of us are perfect. We all wrestle with stuff. If we would be real with that, we would go onto this path that would lead to real freedom. The second thing we can do, we gotta confess, then we gotta repent. Repent means to turn around, turn away. I was going this way, doing these things. Now I'm laying those down. I'm gonna stop doing that and I'm gonna go this way and walk with Jesus and he's gonna get me doing some other stuff. That's what repenting is. Peter, in this text in John 21, remember before he had denied Jesus, I don't know you, I don't know him, I don't know him, I have nothing to do with him. Jesus is now getting him to say something completely different. He's vocalizing it, the complete opposite. Yes, Lord, I love you, I love you, I love you. You call that whatever you want, I'd call that repentance. He was doing this and now he's doing this. That's what repenting is. And the third thing you do is you stand. Jesus says in verse 19, I love this, he says, now you come follow me. He doesn't say, you sit here and think about what you did for a while. You sit here and stew on your sin. You sit here and remember how bad you are and how much I should be punishing you. He says, follow me. He says, let's go. I got stuff for you to do. And Peter can walk in that confidence. Wow, if the Lord has restored me, I'm gonna trust in that and I'm gonna go after him. Jesus doesn't forgive you and restore you so you can just sit there, right? He restores you because he's got works for you to do. He's got a life for you to live. And it's time for us to stop camping out off in the ditch, feeling sorry about ourselves for our sin. It's time to let Jesus restore us so we can get on with it. Amen? 
So that's what I want to say. That's the path to restoration and healing and dealing with your sin as a Christian. Part of continuing well is making this a regular part of your life, like a daily reflex. I'm going to confess my sin to the Lord. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to stand in the confidence that he's forgiven me and that he loves me and that I'm his child, and I don't have to wear this like a name badge onto me. Here's what you need to know, though. This is absolutely having no effect if you leave any part of it out. If you don't confess, you're just playing. What you're saying is, I'm just gonna skirt around. I'm gonna keep stuff in the dark. I'm not gonna tell God everything. You're just playing. I don't mean this wrong. That means, that, you know what that says to me? You don't really wanna move on that bad. You gotta be real with God. You gotta confess it. But if you confess, but then you don't repent, that's no good either. All that's saying is, oh God, here I am. Here's all my stuff, all my problems. Oh, by the way, I'm gonna keep doing them though. Well, that's dumb. That's not gonna lead anywhere. That's gonna just keep us down the same road over and over again. And if you leave out the third one, again, yeah, okay, maybe you've confessed and maybe you even repented, but you're just feeling sorry for yourself just sitting there. No, that's not what God wants for you. Let's stand. If Jesus says you're restored, friend, you're restored. If Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Why do we call that into question? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if he... Yes, if you're a Christian, he loves you. He's forgiven you. He wants to bring you into more and more strength. He wants to bring you closer to himself. He wants to send you into good works. He wants you to be involved in the mission for the kingdom. He does not want you to sit there stewing and feeling sorry about your sin, okay? That's called the enemy who wants to do that. He's called the accuser. If you're a Christian and you are just feeling this bombardment of sin or, or filth or unrighteousness in your life that you've already dealt with, and he's just coming at you again. Remember when you did this thing? Remember when you were into this thing? That's not the Lord doing that. That's the accuser. That's Satan, the enemy. God wants this to happen in our lives. And when we do that, like I say, we can continue better for it. We can continue in the strength that he supplies us. Sin does not have to have the final word over us as Christians. It's time for the church to rise up, man. Let's start doing this. Let's start living the life. Let's start dealing with our sin the way Jesus wants us to, ongoing fashion. We're gonna read the last bit of our text here. We got like a few verses left in this book, which is still sinking in for me because we've been in this for so long. But I'll just say this again to you. Jesus has started this thing in our lives. Jesus is doing a work in our church right now. Jesus is drawing us closer to him. He's inviting us to this relationship. He is wanting us to be strengthened as we abide in him. He is wanting us to be sent out and to make a difference in the world for him. We want to continue well in that. We don't want to be a people who drop the ball and drop off and, oh, I forgot about him. So if we're going to continue well, we've got to continue to abide with him. Focus on that relationship. Don't neglect your relationship with him. And the second thing, like we've seen, is deal with your sin. Do it. Keep doing it every day. Have this conversation with the Lord. And that is going to help us to continue well. Let's finish up in this text. A few verses to go. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. I don't know if he's like trying to eavesdrop on their conversation. Like, we're not talking to you. Go on now. But he's following them. 
the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? That was back like in chapter 13. That's John it's talking about. When Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The disciples kind of missed the point of what he was saying. It says that the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not going to die. But that isn't what Jesus said. Jesus said that if it's my will that he remains, what's it to you? What Jesus is saying is, don't worry about him, follow me. I think somebody needs to hear this this morning. Listen, don't worry about what's going on around you. Don't worry about somebody else's thing. Like, yes, we need to, but you follow Jesus. What, what do I need to work on, Braden? Follow Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and everything will fall into place from there. But don't lose sight of him. That's what he's saying here. <clears throat> this is the disciple, it says, who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Finally, at the very end of the book, John gives up his identity. There he is. And it ends by saying this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And we have now finished the Gospel of John. John. 